Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. Guys, here we are again on another Man Up God's Way podcast. My name is Jody Burkeen. I am your host for this evening, and we thank you for joining us. If you get an opportunity, make sure that you share this podcast with your friends and family. Uh, it will help us reach more and more people for the sake of the gospel. Uh, we have some great interviews. We have some great one-on-ones through um, uh, the crew that we have here. The squad is what we call ourselves, and uh, we would love for you guys to uh, share it uh, and just uh, take an opportunity to let other people hear it. Uh, as usual, I have my guest here tonight, or not my guest, I should say, my host, my co-host, Mr. Ben Neely. How you doing, brother? On? Good How to you? see you. Good seeing you, man. Excited about tonight's episode. I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I am. Uh, it's a heck of a testimony based on the little bit that I've heard so man, far. I can't, so. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, it's been been a good one i actually uh spent the week with uh some veterans i got to do the week uh actually from thursday to sunday had an opportunity to go to a veterans retreat and got to pour into some veterans and talk about ptsd and moral injury and marriage and all kinds of fun stuff yeah so, well it sounds like you guys had a good time so yeah it was really good yeah. it was really good it's just it's amazing what uh, our, our our armed forces go through, you know, yeah. and um, it's pretty sad how little help that they have, even though there's more and more organizations out there that have, you know, uh, that are giving help. It's just, you know, some of these guys just feel like they just can't do it, you know, that they're only they're only ones going through it, which breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that always makes me think of the Bible verse that assures us that we're not the only ones going through the stuff we're going through, right? right. That there's other people going through the same trials mm-hmm. we are, but it's in the moment. It's hard to, it's hard to remember that. Always, right. right. Yeah. And big time, big time. So yeah, that was a great weekend. I was glad to, glad to have done it. It was an honor, but uh, we had a cool commissioning at the very end of it, give them a coin and the idea of the coin, um, you know, in the armed services is a Lieutenant second Lieutenant gets his, um gets his brass yes and so they give him a coin and the idea they give him a half dollar bill and so the idea behind that half dollar is that uh that he gives that to the first person who salutes him and so it's a really cool um you know ceremony if you will for you know the second lieutenant to get that and so the first person that gets you know that salutes him and i don't know if you've ever seen a second lieutenant man they're you know they're like 12 years old yeah, yeah you know they're, they're fresh out of college fresh out of college yeah. and you know they they expect a sergeant major you know he's got eight eight chevrons on his arm to, to salute him and uh he does and so they give that to him yeah that's but, great well good i'm glad you it's a you and nan have done what two or three of those this year yeah exactly yeah. it's been good uh, so, marriage retreats and uh just great opportunities that god's yeah. opening up so really oh, excited that's awesome. so folks tonight we've got a great guest uh brian rucker from uh, the show duck dynasty uh, is here with us today uh, to tell us a little bit about himself and brian how you doing brother man i'm doing great bro i'm just uh blessed to be here humbled to be able to be a part of this with you guys man we're excited to to hear your story um i i 
it's amazing that um, you are where you are today because a, a couple of wrong turns and you may not even been breathing. Uh, or if you were breathing, you may have been locked up for quite some time while doing it in the 10 by 10 cell. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, start off? And again, you know, we want our audience to know as much about you as we possibly can. Uh, it, you can be as raw as you want and you can be as uh, vulnerable as you want. We just want to hear from your 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 Saul side of your testimony and take us all the way up to the Paul side of your testimony. You can start back as far as you want to. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, I, I really love how you said that because, you know, whenever I'm sharing my story, a lot of times, whether I'm going to speak or if it's in a treatment center or a prison, uh, I tell people this, that I used to be completely atheist and I would base my life on science and logic. Scientifically, I should be dead because uh, I've been shot at several times and I've been stabbed. And logically, I should be in prison the rest of my life because I know wow. the things that I've done. Uh, and I'm not in neither one of those spots. And so um, the only thing that ever made life make sense to me was if there was a God and he had a plan and a purpose for my life. And so uh, that that's kind of what gets into uh, the Paul side of my testimony. But uh, growing up, uh, so I'm from Houston, Texas, originally. Um, I grew up in a, a all black neighborhood. Uh, and so I used to have to fight like every day. I used to have to fight before I got on the bus, when I was on the bus, and then when I got off the bus. Until uh, so eventually I was just another kid in the neighborhood. Um, I never knew my dad. The only people I had in my life was like my mom and my grandmother. Uh, you know, I had a couple of cousins that was around whenever I was younger and things like that. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it was just me, my mom and my grandmother. Um, you know, I, the first time I seen somebody get shot, uh, I was nine years old. And I, I came to this realization that like you can die out here like this isn't mm, right this isn't like the things that i see on tv you know you would watch shows like uh family matters or full house and uh and i and i'd sit there and i'd watch it and i'm like man this stuff is fake like it is not real at all because that isn't what it's like in my house that isn't what it's like whenever mm -hmm. i walk outside um and so growing up in this environment where it was just you know, uh, all kinds of drug activity, uh, gang activity, and not having my dad in the picture and really just thinking that the ideal man was people that sold drugs and participated in gang activity. Like, that's just that's just what I wanted to do. Um, and so by the time uh, I was 11, I had uh, started uh, selling weed and I started selling a little bit of uh, crack cocaine and stuff like that. It started getting involved with the gang in my neighborhood. Uh, by the time I was 12, I was uh, really kind of heavy into that. Mm. Um, and my mom, uh, she got sick uh, whenever I was around 12 years old. She started going into the hospital uh, with tumors and they would go in, they would remove a tumor and then another one would develop. They would go in, remove a tumor and then another one would develop. And she ended up being in the hospital for uh, almost an entire year. And uh, on one of the last surgeries that they did to remove the tumor, uh, they actually uh, left one of the towels that you wipe up blood with in the operating room inside of her. And oh, my goodness. Foreign body infection. Um, and I remember going to the hospital, man, and, um, you know, listening to this doctor 
you know, say, hey, we made a mistake. And uh, they go in, remove the towel. Uh, I then remember, like, going up to the hospital, visiting her, and seeing her laying in this hospital bed with, like, these tubes hooked up to her, just pumping this green fluid out of her. Uh, and then the next thing uh, that I really remember is her coming home. And uh, we were we were so poor. We didn't have nothing. We lived in a two bedroom apartment in the back of the projects at the time. And so before my mom went in the hospital, uh, I had a bedroom. My grandmother had a bedroom and then my mom would just kind of sleep in the living room. Sometimes my grandma and my mom would share a room, you know, stuff like that. But whenever she had gotten out the hospital, uh, they sent her home with IVs still in her. And so she needed like a hospital bed uh, and everything like that. And so we moved everything out of my room and moved her into my room. Uh, and it was uh, December 18th. Uh, I was 13 years old at this point. And uh, I'll never forget, she wanted me to watch this movie with her. Uh, she had been home for about a week. And uh this movie that she wanted me to watch was a uh, chicken run. It was like this claymation movie. Right. Uh, and uh, I definitely didn't want to watch that movie. And at the time, you know, we're on Christmas break from school. I'm 13. I'm kind of already out there, you know, selling drugs, hanging out with dudes on the block. Like I'm not really, you know, I'm not really trying to be in the house with my mom. Who's, you know, sick and, in in my room in this hospital bed watching so, chicken uh, run <laughs> right, watching chicken, chicken run, run. <laughs> yeah i'm trying to go outside and sell crack like i'm not yeah. trying to be a right. <laughs> um but uh, so so brian real quick so yeah like you know i'm when i'm 13 years old um i'm not I'm not anywhere near where you're at. Like my, my issues with recreational drug use and started later. So I'm sitting here and I'm wondering or, or thinking about what, what it must be like for a 13 year old to be seeing and going through all this. And what I mean by that is like, where's your hope at this point? Are you even thinking about hope of any kind or is it just survival mode? Where, where are you at? Where's your mindset at at this point? Uh, honestly, man, uh, well, the first part of that question, did I consider hope or anything like that? Absolutely not. Like it wasn't even a thought, you know, I didn't believe in God. Uh, I didn't, at that point I hadn't really know, had anybody introduce me to Christ or even plant that seed or anything like that. But, um, man, I just was caught up in the mindset that this is life. You know, uh, now that I'm an, now that I'm a counselor and I and I counsel people through trauma and everything else, like I, I can go back and I could see, you know, just all these different traumatic experiences that it, that had uh, occurred that ultimately shaped the uh, the perspective and thought process, which led to the actions yeah. that I ultimately did. Uh, but at the time, honestly, man, um, it, it's not that I. I I didn't consciously think about it. It was just more of this is how it is. Yeah. You know, you know, they they've done a neurological research where uh, people that grow up in certain environments, it actually suppresses the frontal cortex of the brain, uh, which is the part that has aspirations, goals and things like that. And, um, you know, it's because you tend to limit yourself based on what you see. 
and so a lot of times uh, for guys like myself that grew up in that particular environment, uh, you don't actually realize that there's something more to this until you see somebody living with more than this. Yeah. If right, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, man, like there wasn't a whole lot of like, where's the hope or anything else. Like I was just standard operating procedure. Like this is yeah. just life, you know? Got it. Mm. Well, anyway, can yeah, go ahead so, and continue. Yeah, so yeah, you, so, you remember so, watching the movie with your mom? Well, I never watched the movie, right? Like, mm. so all day she kept asking me to watch the movie with her. And uh, I would come in, uh, she would say, hey, the movie's coming on soon. Will you watch this movie with me? And then I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right back. And then I go outside, I come back in and she says, hey, the movie's coming on. Will you please watch this movie with me? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be back. Uh, I just got to go outside real quick. And, it was, you know, the part where she's like in my room is important because I had uh, I had like little sacks of weed stashed in my closet. And so I would literally have to keep walking past her bed in my room to go in my closet to get the weed to go back outside. And so every time I would walk by, you know, she's like, hey, the movie's coming on. Will you please watch this movie with me? And and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right back. And then I come in one last time and I remember hearing her snoring. And I, I thought to myself, well, good, I ain't got to watch this stupid movie. <laughs> and um, I go back outside. I come back in for the last time. Uh, the next morning, my grandma wakes me up and she says, uh, hey, go get your mom up. Miss Diane's about to come and change her IVs. Like I said, we didn't have anything. So she's sent home. She's in this hospital bed with IVs in her uh, in, in our two bedroom apartment in the projects. A friend of the family was coming to just kind of tend to her and her IVs and stuff. And my grandma tells me to go wake her up. And it's December 19th. I walk up. Uh, to the doorway of my bedroom where my mom is. And uh, I just remember uh, there was this like stillness, like everything was just real quiet. It seemed like there was no movement at all. And uh, I walk up to the bed and uh, as I'm walking up, I, I had this thought, I was like, man, she looks like she's dead. And then, uh, so, you know, I walk, I, I go ahead and I walk up to her and I, I press her on her shoulder and I'm like, hey, mom, wake up. And uh, and she didn't. And so uh, when I was 13, I found my mom dead and uh, she passed away that night. Wow. And, uh, you know, I just remember being angry. Uh, I walked out the room and, uh, you know, I walk up to my grandma, uh, who at that point, Miss Diane had showed had shown up. And uh, I said, hey, my mom's dead. And um they're like, what? what? And then they go in there and it's just kind of like a blur. You know, it's like mass mm -hmm. chaos. Uh, well, I leave. I, I just like walk out the apartment. I go to my friend's apartment. And um, I remember walking up the stairs to his apartment. I walk in and uh, I said, hey, my mom died. And I'll never forget the words he said to me. He said, man, that's crazy because you were just talking crap about her last night. You know, Ugh. and and, you know, because I was man, like I, I didn't, you know, you're a 13 year old kid that's out here doing all this stuff. It's not like you uh, you ever really understand the power behind the things that you're saying. Uh, right. And so 
I, I end up, I go back to my apartment at that point, the paramedics had got there. Um, I remember, uh, they set me down on the couch and they said, uh, Hey, we're sorry to tell you this, but your mom passed away. And I, I, I cried for about 30 seconds. And then my next thought was like, man, I know that, like, I'm the one that found her, you know? Mm, uh, and, right. and I just got, I just got angry, man. I was, I was angry for a very long time. Uh, I didn't process the emotion correctly. Now, again, now that I'm a counselor, I go back and I look at different things that occurred after that happening that really just kind of reinforced some of that trauma for me. Like, um, you know, picking up the phone and calling people that we knew and saying, Hey, my mom passed away. Then having to hang up the phone and call the next person. Mm -hmm. Hey, my mom passed away hang up the phone, call the next person. Hey, my mom passed away. You know, just these these different things that just kind of reinstilled it in me. But at the time, you don't know how it's actually shaping you or affecting you, but all it was doing was making me more and more angry. And so uh, less than six months later, uh, I ended up getting arrested for the first time. Uh, you know, I'd gotten my first gun and uh, I just... As soon as I got that gun, it was a little 25 Beretta. I didn't even have a clip. It was like it had the little flip up barrel and it had one bullet in it. Uh, I had literally got it from like some crackhead. Uh, you know what I mean? And right. I got that. And I, and I thought to myself, like, man, I could be a millionaire with this thing. Like, that was literally what I thought. Now, mind you, I'm 13 wow. years old. Right? right. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking like, man, with this gun, I can make people do just about anything you know uh and so i've come up with this plan that uh i'm gonna rob a food truck and uh basically what it was it was a, it was like a food truck that would come through the neighborhood uh all day uh or you know a few times a week and they would deliver food to elderly people you know uh living in government housing is interesting because um you know it's a lot of elderly people and it's supposed to be a lot of single women and stuff like that, but it's it's the hood. You know what I'm saying? So FaceTime uh all the time. And so uh and so I see this truck come through and I'm always thinking to myself, like, man, well, this they gotta have all kinds of money on this truck. Uh so yeah, you know, I come up with this plan that I'm gonna rob this food truck. And so um 13 years old, I run up to this guy. Uh, he was delivering these boxes of food to people. He was actually about to deliver uh, these boxes of ice cream sandwiches. I run up on him, I point the gun at him, and I'm like, give me all your money. And he gets startled, and he, like, just grabs the boxes of ice cream sandwiches and throws them at me. Now, mind you, a short, chunky, Hispanic-looking 13-year-old <laughs> kid just ran up on him with a gun. He throws the ice cream sandwiches at me. I'm like freaking out. Like I ain't never did this before. What do I do? And so I just pick them up and I take off running and I go to my apartment, which is at the back of the projects at the time. Um, and, and I'm like freaking out. I'm like, Whoa. And so, uh, you know, ultimately the cops are like, yeah, short, chunky, Hispanic looking kid. We know exactly who he is. And, uh, they come and arrest me less than 30 minutes later. So, I go to jail for the first time at 13 years old on an aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon charge. And all I got was two boxes of ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> That's going to take you a long time to become a millionaire. Story I've ever heard. Yeah. 
<laughs> like he's a serious criminal. He's get packing heat. He gets ice cream sandwiches. Oh man, I thought I was about to really come up with that deal. Like I thought I legitimately in my head told myself, like, man, if he's dropping off food to people, they gotta be paying him. There's just gotta be so much money. And you know, you're I don't I was like nobody you don't pay the delivery guy cash, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm an adult, I look back and I was like, that made no logical sense whatsoever. That's right. exactly right, man. That's, That's exactly great. right. What's funny is you got a single shot Beretta, and all it would take was somebody to have a you know a nine nine fill mag with a one in the chamber, and you've been toast. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying going back to the scientifically and logically right like <laughs> i mean you know when you put the logistics together there's so many times in my life i just should be dead you know? <laughs> right that's right right that was at least one of them right yeah. there oh, yeah for sure. that's funny for sure man uh so yeah uh, i get a, i get i get arrested for the first time uh you know, I'm uh, and I, I go to JDC, which is Juvenile Detention Center uh, there in Houston, and uh, I end up getting sentenced to nine months TYC, which is Texas Youth Commission, basically like penitentiary for people under the age of 17. Um, and I was supposed to do nine months, which was like the minimum that they could give you. You know, I was 13. My mom had just died, things like that. So they kind of just like, you know, they really... They really tried to throw me a bone there and, you know, not mess up my life. Well, right. I've always had this ability to really talk people into stuff. Uh, I've always been just a natural leader. I've never been the biggest dude. I've never been the baddest dude. But, man, I, I've always God gave me the gift of being able to talk. And so, uh, you know, I go into TYC and I start a gang uh, and I basically turn nine months into two and a half years. So I'm locked up from 13 to 16 years old. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up getting like an organized crime charge inside a juvenile facility and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and then, you know, we could sit here for hours. There's story after story with just that, you know, being, being incarcerated for two and a half years during, you know, those, um, those assimilation years of life where, you know, I'm 13 to 16 years old. Uh, you know, I was telling somebody not long ago uh, how, you know, for most of my childhood, like I didn't, you know, I didn't play sports uh, or anything like that. I was in Taekwondo, like I was in karate, uh, you know, whenever I was younger, but like, I didn't, I didn't really get to play sports and, you know, experience that. Like for me, some of my best memories um, from being that age was when I was locked up, uh, because mm -hmm. that was where I got to experience the most camaraderie. That was whenever I got to actually learn something. They sent me to this place called Gulf Coast, where in order for me to be eligible to be released, I had to get uh, a GED, a learner's permit, and, uh, and a builder's trade. And so, you know, I tell people a lot, like, man, a lot of my best memories from childhood is like being in that situation as crazy as it sounds. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, so, so one of the, one of the parts of one of the parts of the, your story that I heard was uh, you were talking about at some point you were selling drugs and doing like 60,000 a month. Yeah. This, yeah so, I'm assuming this is more towards adult. Is this 
out of out of uh, prison or or juvie? When when is this part of your life? Yeah, very short time period after I got out of uh, after I got out of TYC, uh, which you know, man, it's it's crazy because you know all these people they watch uh, these TV shows, they watch the movies, they listen to the the songs and the music videos, and uh, unfortunately, it, it's not a reality to believe that somebody will operate at that level and do those things and consistently do it for a long period of time. So uh, I get out whenever I'm 16 years old. Uh, that's how I actually had made the connections for the people that would ultimately enable me to be able to make that kind of money selling drugs. Um, and uh, so I start moving that amount uh, uh, probably, you know, a little bit before I turned 17 years old. Uh, and then I get arrested uh, for a gang related shooting in which a person died uh, at 17 years old. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> you're talking you're talking a, a less than a year that like, it, you know, it's functioning at that level. Now, it felt like a lifetime because of how fast everything moves when you're doing stuff like that and how many different just crazy scenarios and situations happen in your life um you know man i've watched all kinds of dirty grimy stuff happen uh, right. and and it's affected me in so many aspects of my life even even in uh my marriage and just you know learning how to trust somebody learning how to uh, believe that people aren't out to get you and that they actually care about your best interest and want to glorify god in the way that they treat you um, like that was a very hard concept for me to grasp, even after being a believer for a long period of time and, and walking things out with Jesus. So one um, of this, one of the things this weekend, I did this, uh, veterans weekend, you heard us talking about it at the beginning of the podcast. And, um, we talked about what's called moral injury. You know, a lot of vets who come back from war have what's called PTSD, but many times, they go to war with what's called moral injury. And that's that's something that's happened from your past. That's happened you know, maybe in your childhood or or you know, something that has really just become, you know, something that you've kind of either swept under the rug and haven't really dealt with, or it just keeps causing problems. And, you know, what you were going through was moral injury. I mean, you you grew up in the projects. Um, your your dad was non existent. Uh, your mom died relatively soon. And then all of a sudden here you are, you know, going to jail and um, you get out and you go right back to jail. And it's kind of like all of these things just compile each other, uh, you know, upon each other and uh, just compound the issue that you've got going on a lot of times. And um, it's what's called the moral injury. In other words, like the best thing for you to do, and obviously you have done that because of where you are today is that you you kind of name it and tame it you've got to figure out what causes the problems what causes the hope what are the hurt what causes the fear what causes the anger or the angst and then you kind of dig it out and you deal with it and sometimes you have to go along and it's kind of like the analogy shrek uses you know it's like an onion you know you just take a take a layer and you take a layer and take a layer and finally uh, there will be nothing there and so many people go through that uh, and they've just got to figure out what that is in order to kind of dive down into it. I grew real quick. I grew up 
um, thinking that, and, and first of all, I had great parents, but I grew up and had for years had like a misconception of my childhood. Like I grew up and telling everybody as I got older, you know, I come from a great childhood, all love, but unfortunately parents are sinful creatures too. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got older and got married and, and all of a sudden now there's people that are, I'm responsible for, and that are relying on me every day. And I started to realize like, I'm not that great of a person. <laughs> and then I started to delve into where this comes from. We all have a story, right? Mm -hmm. And, and even my childhood where I grew up upper middle class, had plenty of money, spoiled this, that, and the other, there were things that my parents did that affected me for years. Right. You know, I can't imagine what it was like to be in his scenario. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Well, so this is what I've always told clients just about in that and just people that I've worked with. You know, I say clients now because I've been a counselor for uh, for quite some time. But, you know, the truth is, whenever I just, you know, God changed my life and I started going to celebrate recovery and just walking out an authentic relationship with Jesus, like I just started uh, allowing people to pour into my life and then pouring back into other people's lives, just iron sharpening iron as one man sharpens another. And so, uh, but you know, the way I've always just kind of put it is, uh, we got to find a way to convert our burdens into blessings, mm, turn the things good. that once yeah. hindered us and hurt us into things that help us. Because that's I think good. that's what God is trying to do. And if you look at all the men in the Bible that God has used, that's essentially what he did was he took a burdened, broken vessel and converted it into something that is a blessing to the world, uh, just like uh, just like everybody that he's ever used. And so, um, you know, that's that's, that's really that's really the way that I, I, I've tried to shape it. So you're right. Name it and tame it, uh, because, you know, for me, it's like. It, you know, as, as we go into this a little bit further, you know, you'll see that like my problem wasn't getting high and drunk. Like I didn't, I, I never was necessarily addicted to a substance. I was addicted to a mindset and a lifestyle. Right. Uh, I, I was addicted to uh, just sinful living in general. And so I had to backtrack, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy will tell you, uh, change your actions for an extended period of time in hopes that it changes everything else, right? Right. Essentially, that's what they do with prison. It's kind of forced behavior modification. We're going to put you in a place, force you to behave a certain way in hopes that it rehabilitates you. And uh, when you get out, you'll live a different life. And, you know, studies will just show that it just doesn't really work. Right. Uh, unfortunately, it's just it's a it's not a it's not a malicious thing. It's just a flawed model, um, right? And so, well, we all, as a Christian, we know that it's it's um you know it's a change of mind. You can't, right. you know, it's a change of heart. It's it's that's what changes you. It has nothing to do with you know the discipline, although that helps. Sometimes you have to start with the discipline yeah. of not doing some certain things, but then eventually it it's a it's a changed mind, and that's what. It's really what repentance is. You know, you're changing your mind about the sin that you're carrying and you're walking in a different direction. And that's the problem with a lot of addicts. You know, God has, for some reason, I guess, you know, sent me people like that all the time. And and um, you can usually tell the people who are ready to 
to walk out of their addiction and those who aren't. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, it, sure. it's usually because of that, that changed mind. They haven't gotten there yet. And and what you and I think is rock bottom um, is not even close to rock bottom for a lot of people. So they have oh, to hit man, that. If to hit that bottom first. Yeah, I deal with it on a day-to-day basis. And so if you could kind of look at it like this, uh, I'll, I'll normally will have a whiteboard or, or a piece of paper and I'll draw this out for somebody, but I'll put an L on the piece of paper. And I'm like, that L stands for life. Uh, do you want your life to be different? And they'll say, well, yeah, obviously I want my life to be different. And I'm like, okay, well, what gives you the life that you have? Uh, and they'll say, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, your actions, uh, as men, we are products of the decisions that we make. Ultimately, uh, the, the way that we act will determine the outcome of our life. And so, um, a lot of times people are just worried about that action part. Uh, and so I'll say, well, what brings you to your actions? And it's like, well, thoughts, right? So my thought process gives me my actions and my actions give me the life that I have. Well, Most of the time with people that are trying to, uh, whether it be get sober, step out of, uh, you know, a certain type of sinful living or, or anything else, it's, they're just worried about the action piece. And I'm like, well, you got to go back and look at the thought process. Well, then let's take it a step further. What gives you your thought process? Well, it's your perspective, the way you see things. So the way you see things determines the way you think, the way you think determines how you act and how you act gives you the outcome of your life well then they're like oh okay well what gives me the way that i see things and i'm like what you believe right so what you believe will determine the way you see things the way you see things will determine how you think and how you think will give you your actions and that'll ultimately be the outcome of your life and so all that traces back to what do you believe and having had uh, an experience and relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will give you the proper belief system to see things through the lens of Christ that enables you to have the best thought process to put forth better actions that ultimately give you a kingdom lifestyle. Mm, amen. That's good. My drill sergeant always say, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you do good. You know, yeah, no <laughs> you got to get that. You got to get that mindset um, it, it ready as well. So, so you 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 get in trouble for the gang related killing, right? Mm-hmm. And after you get through that, that's when you show up one day at at at, at Duck Commander to apply for a job. Uh so no, kind of, sort of, not really. Uh okay. so. Yeah, so I, I get arrested uh, for this gang-related shooting, uh, end up, uh, you know, looking at the rest of my life in prison. Um, you know, long story short, man, uh, I, I ended up going to prison, fought the charges on appeals for a long time, ended up beating the charges several years later, get released. Uh, and uh, as soon as I get released, I show up back in the same neighborhood I was at where the shooting happened. And... As soon as I got there, the cops kind of hem me up and they say, hey, no matter what we got to do, we're getting you off the streets. And I really felt like they were either going to set me up or they were going to kill me, like one of the mm-hmm. two. Uh, and and man, you know, I tell this story all the time and it's crazy because I, I just got married uh, last last week. I don't even know. It's been a blur. I'm recently married and uh and, you know, I had all these men in my life that could be a part of the wedding. And and I ended up going to get 
uh, you know, guys that knew me from back then to be my groomsmen. And uh, they're, they're always like, man, to everybody, it's just a story. But like, we were there, we've seen it, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, you know, you, all this all this stuff occurs and and I'm just like in this spot where like, I got to get out of Houston. Like I got to get out of here. I don't need to be here. Well, then this girl that I used to mess with shows up on my doorstep and uh, she's got this little girl and she's getting ready to move out of Houston. And so I basically am just like, all right, let's go. I love you. You love me. That may be my kid. Let's roll. Obviously it wasn't my kid in any capacity, but (laughs) you know, like I I was just like, man, like I just got to get out of here. And so for the next several, uh, year or say several for the next few years of my life, uh, you know, that was basically it. I would move somewhere, work a job, get laid off, move somewhere else, work a job, get laid off, telling myself, as long as I don't sell drugs or get involved in any gang activity, then like I could be a dad. We end up having my son and uh, I end up over in East Texas and I'm working at this chicken express and I'm just trying to do the right thing, which is not be uh, a drug dealer and, and not, you know, do any gang stuff. And um, then I get laid off from that job and I'm like, man, this is stupid. Like it, like I, I legitimately thought my destiny was just to sell drugs. Like, and so uh i was like screw it i make a phone call to a friend i get a couple of bricks brought up to uh, east texas and around that same time period i found out about my grandmother's health so a little backtrack my mom and my grandmother are originally from uh west monroe louisiana in the early 80s they moved to houston uh for god only knows whatever sketchy stuff they were doing uh, they end up moving. They even they moved to Houston. I come from a line of sketchy individuals, by the way. Uh, and so, you know, they moved to Houston. Well, then I'm born. All I know is Houston, Texas, this, that and the other. Uh, and my mom passes away. Uh, I end up going to prison for the shooting and my grandma moves back to West Monroe. Mm. So I get out of jail and I move all over Texas and uh, yada, yada, yada. And my grandma had moved back to Monroe, Louisiana. And so um, I got a phone call that she wasn't doing too good. She had just got out the hospital. It was around Christmas time. And so I come out to Monroe to visit her and uh, just see how she's doing. And I'm standing outside talking to my aunt uh, and she's telling me how they're going to put her in a nursing home because insurance wouldn't pay for someone to be with her at night. And uh, I said, you know, for whatever reason, I was like, well, I'll move out here. And so uh, I literally go back to East Texas, give the drugs to one of my buddies that was staying in in the little uh, garage apartment I was staying in um, and and give him the keys, load up. And and I moved to Monroe, Louisiana to help my grandma. Uh, I get there, get her back on her feet a little bit, go everywhere looking for a job. McDonald's, Taco Bell wouldn't hire me, couldn't get a break nowhere. And I'm driving down the road one day. I see Duck Commander. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go ask those guys for a job. And so I go in there, put in an application, and um, and and that's ultimately how it happened. You know, uh, a couple of months goes by, and I don't get a job nowhere. I'm completely stressed out. I'm literally a psychopath living in my grandmother's bathroom, getting high and drunk, staring in a mirror, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, 
and they end up they call me randomly I, I go up there for an interview and uh the guy that was interviewing was two guys uh was a guy named blaze thomas who was uh kind of managing their store for them doing some hiring and stuff and it was another guy named brad gilbo that was kind of doing inventory stuff in the warehouse and um they asked me you know because they at this point it was kind of like uh you duck dynasty had taken off everything blew up uh you know there was there was a point where stuff had just kind of happened so rapidly that if you had a pulse and you could build a duck call come to work you know what i'm saying well right. that time they'd uh, at this point they'd started to get a little bit smarter and kind of got some more management management behind it and stuff and that's why blaze was there and that's why brad was there was they were actually kind of you know because duck dynasty just kind of took what was happening there and i mean to the next level and nobody it was just kind of like a learn as you go type process and um, now, had you heard of them before you pulled in the driveway to go get a job from them yeah, yeah, I was familiar. Yeah. I had never, you know, because everybody was, you know right. what I mean? Everybody right. was. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize exactly who they were or what they were about. I hadn't even seen the show or anything like that. I just was like, oh, Duck Commander, okay, those Duck Dynasty dudes. Yeah, I was just going, you know. Yeah. And uh yeah, for so, you for you at that point where your life was, it wasn't about like the uh star power or anything. It was about just needing a job. No, for sure. So actually in the interview, um, because they're trying to figure me out. Like at that point, I didn't look like this. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, and so they were like, you know, they're like, Hey, how would you like to work here? I said uh to Blaze, I told him, I said, Man, I really don't care if it's you or McDonald's. I said, I'm just trying to feed my kid and I don't want to sell drugs to do it. And he's like, what? You know, he just kind of looked, <laughs> he kind of looked at me crazy. And uh, Brad was sitting in there. He had kind of had his head down, was just kind of twiddling his thumbs. And when I said that, he like perked his head up and was like, oh, what is this dude talking about? And then uh, he said, uh, he said, man, well, if you got the job, when could you start? And I like stood up, I untucked my shirt. I said, I'll start right now and he goes all right man well we'll call you he, like basically kicked me out the office he's like all right man we're gonna holler at you and uh and then i go back to my grandma's apartment i'm like kicking myself because i'm like you know why did i tell him that it's like when keeping it real goes wrong like i was just look man i'm just trying to do something different here and i was like now nah, they're definitely not gonna hire me um and to my surprise the uh that then a couple of days later they end up calling me uh, missed their phone call five times and uh, still ended up somehow getting connected with them. And I started that next Monday folding clothes for $8 an hour. Um, and I just went to work, man. I just went in there and I, you know, I put my head down. I worked, you know, different people would come through. Uh, I remember the first time I met Willie, he walked up, he goes, Hey, Willie Robertson. I'm like, Hey man, shook his hand. And I just kept working. Like I, I you know, I didn't, I didn't really care, man. I was, you know, I was at this point in my life where I was literally just looking for something to tell me that I was wrong. And right. because my, my belief was that these are the cards I got, these are the cards I'll have, and this is all I'll ever get. I mm. really believed that, like, I was just, you know, like, I, I remember whenever I put in the application there, it was like, 
I'm gonna put in application everywhere. That way, I'm whenever I'm telling people how I have to sell drugs because society won't allow me to get a job. I could say that I tried, you know, and right. uh, and so I had the job, and you know, people kind of took a liking to me based on how I worked, and you know, I'd meet different guys. We would have a conversation. I'd tell them where I was from, and they'd be like, "How are you here?" I'm like, "I don't know." I'm like, "I don't." Don't come at me with no Jesus stuff. I ain't trying to hear none of that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I was just like, right. you know, I was just working, man. And, um, and you know, come to find out, like, it it was a total act of God that I even got there anyways. Because they would take these applications that, you know, people would come by the store and put in. Because most of the time they were just one of the thousands of fans that was coming by. And, you know, people would ask for an application. They'd let them fill one out and Usually it's not people that you're probably going to call, whether they're not local or, you know, whatever the case is. Right. And they, they would just put them on this desk, uh, you know, and it was just stack of like 2,500 applications. And uh, as a joke, one guy seen that Blaze was about to call some people and randomly pulls an application out of that stack and puts it on his desk. And that was my application. And, um, and so, you know, people started hearing my story and they, They'd hear about that and everything. They're like, man, you're here for a reason. And, uh, man, honestly, uh, you, you know, nobody ever opened up a Bible, never, never pointed to any verses. Nobody ever told me how I was a sinner and I was going to hell or anything else. But these dudes literally changed my life by saying the words, I love you. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what it was, man. Uh, but I knew that there was this, this group of people. Um, who were nothing like me that for some reason seen me as something that's worth helping or, and, and more than that, somebody that's worth loving. And, um, and they just, they would say, I love you. And then they would give me more responsibility and, uh, started running this, uh, Willie's watering hole for Willie. And, you know, I was kind of serving drinks to people that would come by, you know, sodas and water. And then I, you know, they're like, well, can you sell stuff? I'm like, can I sell stuff? <laughs> That's kind of my thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I started selling coffee, man. I started selling duck calls. And, you know, they, you know, different guys up there would uh, always invite me to church. And um, I never would go. But then I'm finally, uh, I said, you know what? Yeah, I'll go to church. And, and my thought was like, man, I'll go to church. They'll see me going to church. Maybe I'll get a raise or something. Right. Uh, and so I go to church and uh, I sit down and I listen and I'm just like, man, this is so stupid. I mean, this is dumb. That pastor's probably driving a Mercedes or something. And it's funny because now I work at the church and I realize ain't nobody driving a Mercedes. Especially the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so. And so I'm like judging everybody and I'm like, I leave from church that one, the first time I went and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, good. I went, everybody see me there. Cool. Ain't got to do that no more. Well, then I get to work and nobody mentioned, mentioned seeing me at church. Like nobody's like, Hey man, we've seen you at church. And then, so I was like, crap, I got to go again. And, um, and I go again. Uh, and then I went again and the more I went, the more I listened and the more I listen, everything that didn't make sense made sense if I put God in the equation. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I used to base my life on science and logic. Scientifically, I should be dead. Logically, I should be in prison the rest of my life. And I wasn't in, in 
either one of those situations. And I never could make that make sense in any capacity. And the only thing that ever made sense, me being alive, me being free, and then me working at Duck Commander was if there is a God and he's got something planned for me. So, uh, and so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a burning bush moment, uh, or anything like that. So I I just was like, okay, all right, God, if you're real, let's see. And, uh, I started, I started reading the word. I was like, I'm a, I'm gonna read this thing and I'm gonna see, uh, what you're about. And if you're real, I'll know. And, uh, slowly, like slowly, but surely, man, like God just started revealing himself to me through his word and, um, about a month later, I'm getting baptized by Phil. Um, and, uh, and then it was, it was zero to a hundred real quick, man. It's like one day, uh, you know, I was hanging out, uh, you know, just folding clothes for $8 an hour. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm going on hunts with Buck Commander. I'm getting the opportunity to be on the show. Uh, people are flying me places to, you know, go speak and share my testimony and, hanging out with country music singers and, and, you know, professional athletes. And it was, and that's, uh, that's as addicting as the drugs that you were doing and the alcohol that you were chasing. Oh, for sure, man. It was, yeah. uh, you know, I, sometimes I say, man, it was too much too quick, but I think what God was doing was really building something inside of me that I could make that I couldn't have a single doubt that it was him doing. Amen. Something. That's good. Uh, and, so, and because, well, hey, Brian, I'm yeah. sorry. Um, no, no, you're good. The things I wanted to touch on before we got too far from where you just were is this. I wanted to wait till you told the story because I didn't want to chime in because I, w- I wasn't sure where it was going. But one of the things I love about your testimony is is exactly what you just said earlier about it was a, a group of people, a group of guys, whatever it was, <clears throat> that just started to love on you. And we don't get to hear a whole lot of testimonies like that, to tell you the truth. What, what I what I thought I had heard in your testimony is you went to work there, and it wasn't Jesus right away. Uh, it was more about this relationship that you built with these Christian people, uh, and you know whether it be you watching how they operated or the love, like you said, they were showing to you. I just thought it was great that it, was, it wasn't one of those moments where you necessarily started to hear from God and then came to believe it was more about a group of people that took you in, loved on you. Uh, and then you started to, uh, see the source of all that, I guess is, is what I wanted to, is what I wanted to say. I just thought it was a cool testimony. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. You know, I tell, I tell people this all the time. Community is the make break component for people that get sober and stay sober. Uh, you know, community is a necessary component. And when you look at, when you look at how, uh, God took this gospel to all nations, uh, he used, he used people, man. And, um, and I think a lot of times that, you know, not, not, not necessarily people, uh, like me who had people like literally introduce them to Jesus just by their actions and their love and consideration. But immediately after somebody knows Jesus, they got to get around some dudes that know Jesus and are following and chasing after him also in order for them to grow and be sanctified and walk that out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Yeah. We always, we always use the analogy of, uh, you know, like the, the, 
the, the safari and you always see the gazelles out there running around and a lion yep. or you know tiger starts chasing them there's always this one dummy that runs off to the left by himself and the next thing you know he's he's eating that's what typically happens to a new christian if they don't get in the pack so to speak yeah the, the lion never approaches the herd he gets off to the one that's isolated you know <clears throat> yep. I use the same thing, so that's why. I'm yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely nothing new under the sun. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's true. So, so yeah, so man. You, uh, I was gonna say. So you tell the story. You know, you, you're you're hobnobbing with everybody. You know, your athletes and celebrities and stars and you know even the Robertsons themselves and you're getting all this and and yet that doesn't sound like it's it's enough for you um and you kind of have you know just kind of a um what we would call in christianese like a little backsliding um what happened there at that point yeah so man you know i in my young adolescent christian mind i legitimately had subscribed to this concept that just grace abounds look i'm not selling drugs. I'm not shooting people and God knows my heart. So yeah, I can go and drink and sleep with women, you know, smuggle a little bit of weed here and there. And you know what? It's all good. I mean, look at what God's doing in my life, right? Like that is literally what I thought. And I, and I just, I really, I really was just thinking that there was nothing wrong with me living this double lifestyle, but that's 100% what it was. It was a double lifestyle. I would go around and I would talk about Jesus and, and legitimately have this relationship with him and legitimately feel this change and then tell people about that. But then I would go home and live just as wretched as I did before, but calling it something different because it didn't look as bad. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Uh, and and so uh I, I come back from a hunt uh with Buck Commander, uh, and uh I'm feeling good about everything. Uh, you know, life is happening, and I decide, man, I'm gonna go to a bar and I'm gonna get I'm gonna have some drinks and just kind of celebrate what God has done in my life. Like oxymoron <laughs> is like you know what I'm saying? But this yeah. is look. We're objects of wrath by nature, okay? Right. You can take a person and change all the circumstances in their life, but until they have fully had this change inside their heart and God has continued to mold them into the vessel that he wants them to be, uh, there's going to be these these bonehead just, you know, a lot like Peter, man. Like, you just, he just didn't get it. You just right. missed the whole point, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I go out to a bar and I decide to drink and, you know, I was popping a couple pills, just enjoying myself. And I get pulled over on the way home, get a DWI and a possession charge. Uh, and, and then I end up in jail and this is three days before my like first actual episode on Duck Dynasty airs and I'm sitting in jail and I'm like, well, how did this happen? I got Jesus. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and and it was in that moment that I had the revelation, oh, this is for real. Like, uh, right. there is no there is no gray area. Either I'm for you or I'm against you. Uh, either good. I got to be either I'm totally sold out for you and living for you and glorifying your name or I'm not. And 
Uh, and then my next thought was, well, it's all over anyways. Like, you know, uh, to my surprise, my mentor, uh, which was the general manager of Buck Commander at the time, Grant Taylor, and uh, Willie and them all got together and they came and got me out of jail um, and gave me one more chance. And um, that's ultimately how I got involved with Celebrate Recovery and uh, and into a sober living home and things like that. And there were some more trials that came as a result of that. But ultimately, uh, you know, I, I just finally got into this point after I'd messed up yet again. And Miss K calls the leaders to celebrate recovery and say, hey, I don't know what it is about him. Give him one more chance. And uh, and they did just God working in them to work in me. Uh, I finally I finally was just like, you know what, God, whatever you have, whatever it is, I can't make sense of any of this. I'm done trying to run the show. Uh, and and. Yeah, from there, you know, I lived in a sober living house for two years and became a leader of Celebrate Recovery and then uh, went and spoke somewhere. And uh, they um, they thought I would be a good counselor. Thought it was the dumbest idea ever. Uh, <laughs> was still working at Duck Commander at the time. And uh, and I was like, well, what do I do? Do I take this job or not? And, uh, you know, they're weighing out the pros and cons. And I talked to Willie. And I said, man, what do I do? You know, this job that they want me to be a counselor. I, I don't know nothing about that. I'm like, I work for you guys. Like y'all are, I mean, you guys changed my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, right. I, I mean. Yeah. You don't uh, want to, don't want to bite well, the hand that feeds you. Yeah, exactly. At the, well, at the time it wasn't even that. At the time I really didn't think that there was any other options. Honestly, I was just right. like, man, all right. My chance is like, man, I'm gonna work here. You know, I, I've been on the show a little bit. I'm going to speak places. You know, I'm finally living half the stuff that I'm talking about, uh, you know, and, I, and I'd started doing production with Buck Commander. I was like, man, this is this is my career. You know, that's, that's what I thought was like, this is this is this is what God wants me to do. And uh, and I asked Willie, I said, man, what do you think? He said, well, uh, he said, man, your family. He said, you always got a job. He said, uh Go try it. If you love it, great. If not, come back home. What do you got to lose? And uh, and so that's whenever I, I walked in the duck commander and I told the rest of the guys, I was like, yeah, I'm going to take that job. And they said, well, good, because we were getting ready to fire you if you didn't. So, <laughs> that's great. And, but that's, that's just how much funny. these guys, really? that's just how much these guys really were pouring into me and helping me and molding me, man. As, uh, right. You know, it was like they they just were there for me. And so I ultimately became a, an addiction counselor uh, here in Louisiana. Turns out God knows what he's doing. And I became one of the most sought after addiction counselors and um, and then uh, got had the opportunity to come work at the church full time and take over uh, Celebrate Recovery. And so uh, now that's that's what I do. Now I'm the director of Celebrate Recovery. Uh, working at uh, WFR Church, uh, and you know I'm an addiction counselor in the state, and I um, the sober living houses that I, I lived in, I now own, and we we have the Awakening Program, which is uh, transitional living for guys that are coming out of rehabs, prisons, and things like that. A safe place for them to land, get Jesus, be molded by men who are chasing mm -hmm. after Jesus, and uh, and and letting that do uh the holy spirit work in their life wow dude that is awesome 
I think we just lost you. Hold yeah, on. We got it. We got it. We got it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, I just lost. Oh, I had to turn that off. Just so you know, the next time I see Jody's daughter, I'm going to trip her. Golly. I turned it off, too. Sorry <laughs> about that, man. Luckily, you, no, were right. you, you just finished that up before it kicked on. So, um, so what's the name of the ministry again? Uh, so Celebrate Recovery. Uh, there's yeah, actually okay. Celebrate Recoveries all over, yeah, uh, right, all exactly. over the world. Uh, yeah. and so what's the name of your, your recovery homes? Uh, the Awakening. Yeah. Okay. Awakening. So, yeah, The Awakening. And it's uh, basically, it, it was based off of what the original program was called was Awaken 514. Uh, okay. You know, Awaken O Sleeper. And, uh, and you know, whenever uh, some close friends of mine, my predecessors in CR and everything, um, decided that they weren't going to do the houses anymore, uh, we kind of took over and just uh, rebranded as The Awakening. Right. That's great. So how long is that, um, that program? So you, you allow guys to come in men only, I'm assuming. Yeah. So we, we currently yeah. are only men. We work with a lot of women's programs like, uh, you know, at our church is, uh, is what we like to call a trenches church. Uh, man, we're in the trenches, you know, we don't have, we don't have necessarily the coolest lights or, uh, or anything like that. But what we do is we invest in people. And so, uh, and, and that's the reason why our celebrate recovery is, uh, is what it is. We actually have the largest celebrate recovery in the nation. Um, wow. and so we, we get, uh, we get on average, uh, between four and 500 people a week, uh, Holy just coming, coming to get, uh, coming to get help from their hurts, habits, and hangups. And, uh, and so just from, just from celebrate recovery, you're doing oh, yeah. four to 500 people a week. And oh, where, where's this at? West Monroe, Louisiana. And so is this, is this because of you? And what I mean no, by that is, no, 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 okay. No. I, I'm, 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 you, you said earlier, you, you became one of the sought after. And I didn't know if when you said that you were saying that just because there are people that knew you uh, from the show and stuff. And when they found out you were doing that, obviously they wanted to come. Um, you know, learn from you or get, get counseled by you. So I didn't know if that's what well, that if was, it, if it's just well, a, being, yeah, that did help me a lot in my counseling career. Uh, but no celebrate recovery, man, we stand on the shoulders of men that have come before us, you know, uh, there's the right. man, like, uh, it, it's wild, man. Like just how much, you know, whenever you had Willie on, y'all were talking about the blind and just that movie and everything right. and how, you know, tracing back, like, Watching that was very emotional for me. Uh, and, and whenever I was on Unashamed and everything, you know, we talked about this, like, it's just how so much of this is so connected. Our Celebrate Recovery is what it is because one of Phil's friends came down to an altar in the 80s and admitted that he had a drug problem. and Nobody knew what to do. And, uh, you know, you fast forward 15 years from that, they decided to start a Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and so... Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you know, uh, so it's not it's not that because of me for sure. Uh, I'm just the I'm just the one that God's asked to steward it for the time being. You know, now are you at are you at Al's church? Yes, mm -hmm. you are. Okay. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, Praise yeah, God. Yeah. That is yeah. cool. And then and then earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago, when you said something about uh, 
uh, the guy that owned the sober living houses before you, or he decided not to go into what was his name? Uh, so you, you had Josh Hudnell and uh, Kyle Smith. Okay. Uh, so I thought I, so, I thought I heard him say CR. Oh, no, and yeah. so it made me think of CR Kirsten, who's right. got all the uh, Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm familiar with CR Kirsten and Teen Challenge. Are you? And all that. Yeah, well, so I've been, you know, I've been working with people that struggle for, you yeah. know, a long time now. And so, you know, it's just one of those things. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, we get, we get blessed with the opportunity to, uh, help four to 500 people, uh, come through, celebrate recovery. That's, and, That's awesome, uh, brother. You know, and, uh, and then, you know, having the, so the sober living communities around is a big part of that. And so, yeah, it's what we have is four men primarily, uh, but we have women's houses that we're affiliated with and, and that are affiliated with our church that operate out of our church. My wife actually went through one of the women's programs that uh operates out of our church um you know uh things like that so right that is awesome man so the the, the time just to give me a time frame the time that you're in jail um while working with duck dynasty to the time now how how, how many years is that eight eight years okay mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. wow that is awesome man yeah. That is yeah. that is awesome. So so you're you're in full-time ministry now um mm -hmm. at Al's church and then you're you're running the the Celebrate Recovery uh, as well as the the sober homes. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now are you still traveling around and and doing um conferences and speaking gigs and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I travel around, speak, uh, speak places, share the gospel. Uh, of course, you know, we had the I'm second come out. Uh, and so that's been uh, really good to help people just see Jesus through, uh, through, right. through the story that he gave me. And uh, so, yeah, you know, between working at the church full time, leading celebrate recovery, uh, you know, the houses, uh, still go and you know work in treatment centers doing counseling uh and things like that uh, i'm doing some counseling with an adolescent place right now and then of course speaking and and doing stuff like this as as much as god opens up the door for that is awesome i had the opportunity i don't know if you've ever heard of richard hedrick uh he has a hellfighters ministry it's out yeah, of yeah I'm, i know I, the I, hellfighters ministry. okay it's out of it's out of mississippi and uh they had a, a recovery home and i went down there and sp um, spoke it spoke with a lot of the men down there and he had a really cool program because what he would do is he would bring these guys in and it was it was almost like um it started off like a prison you know you you could come in with anything that you wanted but as soon as you walked into these doors you were butt naked you had nothing on you uh, they would walk you through this uh this gate and then on the other side of this gate they had this open air market basically you could go in and get any clothing that you wanted anything you know all brand new clothing um you know and all this and then you got a bed and then they were you know drug testing every day and um you know just feeding you jesus and feeding you food and then what they would do he had a uh harley davison dealer, uh, dealership next door and he would give them all a job you know he would teach them how to use the uh um uh you know to to do be a mechanic or sales or or whatever and and just giving them a great job he had a great 
um, statistics as far as, uh, you know, getting these guys out of, because crack was a big thing and meth was a big thing down in Laurel, Mississippi is where they were. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome ministry that you guys are doing. And I love the, I love the concepts of the, you know, the, the sober houses and, um, sobriety houses and stuff like that. I, I think we need a lot more of those in the United States. I've been praying our church is next to, um, uh, next to an old hotel that I just keep waiting for it to go out of business. I'm praying that God gives that to us so we can turn that into yeah. a, a sober house because the way it's yeah. set up, it'd be perfect for have women on one side, men on the other, and you could do a little modification, John, and keep everybody separate, but it'd be really cool to, that's what I'm praying for one of these days. So, yeah, we've been blessed, man, to, uh, really have an effective model and, and program and, uh, you know, the way it works collectively with the church, it works with Celebrate Recovery and everything like that. And so that's something that we're passionate about, too, is we want to help people uh, get these uh, these communities set up uh, where they're at also. Uh, okay. You know, because I, awesome. I, I think that it's I think that it's doable. And just a lot of times people don't necessarily have the experience in doing it to really know how to flesh it out. You know what I mean? And right. so. Uh, and, and that's something that God's really blessed us with is the opportunity to help people in that aspect. So whether it be a celebrate recovery, you know, we're, you know, you have CR Maine, which is, uh, you know, our good friends, Mac Owen and, uh, Mary Owen and then, uh, you know, all of them that, that, that run, you know, celebrate recovery on a national level who Mac actually started the CR at the one that we run now at WFR church. Okay. Um, but, um, and, but, you know, everybody's trying to figure out, you, you know, they get passionate. They realize that there's people that suffer from hurts, habits, and hangups, uh, in their community. And they're like, well, how do we start a CR? And a lot of times people call us cause we're kind of quote unquote, a signature CR, you know, we're a right. CR that, that, you know, that, you know, people God is just blessed. Cause yeah, yeah, God is blessed, man. That's awesome. And so, uh, so whether it be CR setting up, uh, sober living homes, uh, we, we kind of more like, look, we're, we're, we're sober living program. We're not just sober living home because there's a lot of places that, you know, are sober living home and it ends up just kind of being like a flop house, you know what I mean? Right. Right, Exactly. That's, that's definitely not what we're trying to do. So, uh, but yeah, man, uh, that's something that we're passionate about also. Well, we may have to uh, talk in the future because I think that's something on our heart big time, um, you know, to be, especially through the Man Up God's Way ministry. You know, we've we've got the opportunity to reach hundreds of men that are, you know, all across the nation that are struggling. And, and we get emails and, and texts all the time about, you know, what to do and how to do it. And, you know, I talk about my addictions quite often and, you know, how God kind of healed those. I shouldn't say kind of. He did heal those. Um, and then, you know, I really feel that at some point in time, that will definitely be something in our ministry that we step out and do. So I'll definitely be praying about that. Yeah, absolutely, bro. And we'll be in prayer for that for you guys. Like, I mean, uh, because I mean, everybody's struggling with something. Amen. Right. Everybody is struggling with something. We are in a, we are in this world that has a sin disease. You know, Amen. Uh, but for something to be labeled as a disease, it has to be two things. It has to be progressive, but it also has to be treatable. And we mm-hmm. know the great physician, the one that can treat any ailment or anything that we have. And that's Jesus. 
Amen. so it's getting people to the solution. And, mm. and the solution is Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Brian, how do people get a hold of you or not get a hold of you, but just follow you? Um, tell us a little bit about your social media and anything that you're on. And uh, that way people can uh, kind of follow you. Yep. So uh, Facebook, uh, Brian Rucker. Uh, you can just type in Brian Rucker, Brian Rucker 52, uh, and that'll pull up my Facebook. Same thing on Instagram, Brian Rucker 52. Uh, you can also visit our church's website, WFRChurch.org. Uh, and, uh, again, uh, they have all of our information on there, ways to get in contact with us. And, uh, my personal email is just, uh, brucker at wfrchurch.org. Awesome. Awesome. So what word would you give as we close up here tonight? What word would you give to somebody who's struggling right now? Um, maybe they're kind of at the place you were at one point in your life where you're just thinking, these are the cards I'm dealt. I don't know what else to do. I think I'll just keep living this way. Um, what would you say to somebody that maybe is sitting in, the, in, in that seat right at the moment? I would say that adversity breeds advancement. And just because you're dealing with that adversity doesn't mean you have to be miserable. That is optional. Uh, because we have a solution. We have a savior. And all you got to do is find somebody that knows them and they'll get you to them. Mm, yes, Lord. Amen. Brian, Brian, your, your testimony and, and listen, I've talked about this many times, but it keeps coming up. You know, I, I always think about one of my favorite, uh, stories in the Bible isn't it's, it's in more than one of the gospels, but the, the version I think I always go to is Luke when Jesus is preaching in the hut. And the four guys pick up the paraplegic and the Bible says they took him to the hut. And when they couldn't get in, they lifted him up, cut the roof open, and they lowered him to the feet of Jesus. And so one of the things that we, we talk about is, is who's your they? And that's why your testimony spoke to me because I'm like, if, if, if when we talk to this guy tonight, what I think I'm hearing is, is this was a group of people that he got introduced to through work that loved on him. Yeah. And this isn't a, a Damascus road moment. And that, that I don't have a Damascus road story. It wasn't immediate. I fought God for years, years and, and stuff like that. So, um, but we always talk about who's your, they, you know, and, 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 and when, what I love about that story in the Bible is when Jesus sees him, he says, because of their faith, you've been mm -hmm. you're healed right and so mm -hmm. don't ever think that that you're you're going through this on your own you there's there's people out there that will love on you that will take you to the feet of jesus at all costs like these guys did uh all you've got to do is just participate yeah no 100 100 man and, and i love that you said that because you know, I think that for a lot of men, a lot of people, you know, we tend to try to isolate ourselves and just do what we can do by ourselves. Um, we process our emotions in one of two ways. It's either emotional indulgence, which means we just feel our feelings and let those determine everything. Or we practice emotional avoidance, which means we stuff it down and keep going until it bleeds out in compulsive behaviors. Mm. And Oftentimes, we will continue in those ways of processing until we have a community of men around us 
to help uh, uh, guide us into a better way, into processing it the way that Jesus processed it, just like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, that's, uh, man, we could sit here for hours and we could talk about Jesus. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, Amen. But, but yeah, man, uh, I th- yeah, 100%, their faith has made you well, right? Yep. Um, and, and so I think that's what it's about. That's what, that's what God has always done. He's always worked through people. Willie taught me that a long time ago, man. Yeah. Uh, that's one of, that's one thing he taught me. He's like, man, God always worked through people. Uh, that's and, great. You know, so and he definitely did with them and uh, other people connected to them, and really just this entire community here, from the church to Duck Commander, uh, has worked in me uh, to help me get to where I'm at now. And still to this day, still to this day, it's not like, hey, I'm out here and I'm just doing right. it all by myself, just me and Jesus, man. I got, I got a core group of men, and. Um, and everything I do, you know, it gets uh, it's wise counseled by them, you know, and and of course the Robertsons are are a part of that that group of people. Yeah, I'm glad I got to meet you, meet you, man. I I watched Duck Dynasty for maybe the first season or two, and then I got rid of cable back then for whatever reason. It was a, it was it was a God thing, but uh, <laughs> so way. I didn't I didn't I didn't yeah I didn't know you. <laughs> I realize now I told Jody before we started, I did see an episode of one of the podcasts that you were on. I don't remember, but I'm going to go back and watch it. But, but now I'm going to go back and watch some of these duck dining episode, duck dynasty episodes, bud, and look for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Most attractive guy on there. You'd be <laughs> Hey, yeah, but that didn't take much for real. Did you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Brian, man, it has been a pleasure. Uh, we're so thankful to uh, have met you. I, I think we'll be talking in the future because I definitely want to hear a little bit more about the, uh, the sober living. You know, I've been reluctant as a pastor to bring in um, Celebrate Recovery to our church because down the road, uh, we've got a church that's already doing Celebrate Recovery, and they're doing a really good job with it. And I've been trying to send as many people down there as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just really feel kind of the stirring that, you know, there's something that maybe should be going on in our own church as well. So we'll definitely be praying about that. Well, not, not to mention, not to mention, man, this has been, this has been something that's been on your heart yeah, for, for long, almost as long as I've known you. And that's almost eight years. Yeah. Right. So maybe, maybe this is the conversation where God's saying, and I'm not saying that he's right. saying this, I'm saying it could be, Hey, Jody, let's, let's, let's either, either poop well, or get off the pot. Right. 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 Yeah. Hey, man, look, give me a call. Let's talk. We, we okay. you know, yeah. we're definitely, definitely will help in any capacity. And and look, man, just, uh, you know, if you feel called to start a Celebrate Recovery, man, don't look West Monroe alone. We have five Celebrate Recoveries in five different churches, wow. uh, you know, and in the expanded area, there's about eight, uh, maybe nine at this point. Like, you know, so it's and, and man, because people need it people need right. it and and if you feel this call you feel this tug you've had this stirred in your heart uh and let's talk about it maybe i okay. can maybe i can help uh give you some insight into it that's awesome i appreciate that we'll definitely i'll definitely be praying about that because yeah it's been I've, I've always had a heart you know like i told you earlier i mean god has always sent me you know addicts and alcoholics and you know 
porn addiction people. Like it's just been that's the kind of people. You know, as a pastor, I get quite a bit, but I'm just saying for some reason, like outside of you know, outside the church, you know, it's always my you know those people that just happen to be that that kind because I I understand how to deal with them and talk with them. Well, so. and you you you're likable. You're like you, all three of us here are like mm-hmm. we all talk well. We we're we're fairly. I mean, when you hear Brian talk, he's a Christian, but he doesn't sound like a religious zealot right, exactly. or or some type of uppity. I'm better than everybody Pharisee, right? right? Neither do neither do we. So guys, guys get close to us pretty easily, right? right. I think you'd be great at it, and I think you need to stop talking about it and do it. <laughs> Call this guy, man. Let's do it. I will. I will. <laughs> Well, brother, uh, we appreciate it. Um, you know, after we get off here, I'll get your phone number. Uh, we don't want to give it all across the the world here, but, uh, again, thank you for your time. Uh, we're really blessed. What do you, what do you have real quick? What do you have coming up in the future? Uh, anything major? Uh, nothing, nothing major, uh, necessary. So I've been, been trying to get married for a while. And so we just got through the wedding. So I kind of put everything on pause for, uh, about a month and then you know that was kind of around the same time period the i'm second uh film or the white chair film got released and so uh now i got i got some stuff lined up i'm you know with you guys tonight tomorrow morning i, I got another show i'm gonna be on uh tomorrow afternoon another show so it's just a lot of uh, a lot of podcasts and shows right now and uh, you know it's kind of it's kind of the thing and so definitely Definitely wanting to get back out there and do some speaking, uh, things like that. Thank God uh, my wife knows that I'm passionate about sharing the gospel with people and supports that. So uh, so as soon as, uh, as soon as somebody calls and wants me to come speak, that's where I'll be. More than likely. Praise God. We'll, we'll definitely be praying for you. And uh, again, uh, don't hang up after we get done here. I want to get your number and stuff. So. Folks, if you get an opportunity, uh, make sure that you check out Brian Rucker on Facebook, Instagram, at uh, his church. What's the church again? One more time. Uh, WFRchurch.org. WFRchurch.org. And you can uh, see all the great things that they're doing there. Uh, ben, thanks again tonight. And uh, we shall yeah, see you guys next week. Thanks, Brian. God bless. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.